If you will turn with me, your Bibles will be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be taking a break from our sermon series in Matthew's, Matthew over the month of December. We'll pick back up in January. But until then, as we move closer to Christmas, we'll do a series of Advent sermons looking at different stories within the, the Christmas story. So this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. This is uh, Mary's song. She is going to visit Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And so when they meet, uh, this kind of worship moment takes place, and she sings this song. It's called the Magnificat. They call it that because in the, the Latin Vulgate Bible, this is the first word, magnify, that, that shows up in her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. And so this morning, their passage centers on this idea of Mary magnifying the Lord uh, throughout her song. So we'll begin in verse 39 and go all the way to verse 56. Read with me. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And with Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, the blessed, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning with the desire to hear tr the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, loosen the grasp that indwelling sin has on our minds and our, on our affections. And as a means of grace, use these words to strengthen us and to point us to the work that Jesus has accomplished for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So growing up, I was the kind of kid that had lots of hobbies. I think I... I have not left that. I have lots of little hobbies, but the way it worked growing up is I would find an interest in something and my mind just needs to know how it works. And so once I kind of figured out a general knowledge of it, I would just move on and pick up something else. And so different phases throughout my childhood, one of those was a space phase. Uh, this fascination with the moon and the stars and constellation. You know, at the time we lived in, in Florida. So does anybody remember the space camp? 
Was that just a Florida thing? But if you lived in Florida in the late 80s and early 90s, space camp was where it's at. If you got to go to, I've never met someone until today, actually, Morgan G is the only person I've ever met that made it to space camp. So uh, the farthest I ever got to space camp was I asked for a telescope for Christmas, and I got it. This one Christmas day, I woke up and got this telescope, and so I spent the, the day with my dad putting it together, putting the legs on it, getting it ready for that evening, and for the first time, I remember distinctly, I remember looking at the moon through my, my telescope, the first time seeing the details that I had never seen before. See, a telescope that takes that enormous thing, the moon, that's so far away that we can't see the details, and it brings it in closer that we can, we can see it. And I remember being wowed by how huge this thing was, how big and beautiful with these details of the moon are, the craters, the mountain ranges, the shadows, and the light. You could see it all through this, this telescope. So there's, there's two types of magnification. You can do the telescope or you can do a microscope. See, a microscope takes something that's small and, and minute and it makes it bigger so that we can examine it more closely. So when we look at Mary's song, the Magnificat, her, her magnifying of the Lord, her song is a, is a telescope, not the microscope. You see, our worship doesn't make God more grand. He already is. But it draws in his attributes closer that we can view it and see it and gain a right perspective about who we are, who God is, and how life ought to be. And so we look through the telescope of Mary's song. What is it that we see? What is it that we're going to see as we are able to see up close these attributes of God? Well, there's many things throughout this psalm, her song, but I want to focus in on, on three. One is God's personal care for his children. Second is God's providential power. And third, God's promise-keeping Faithfulness, And so let's look at this first point, God's personal care for his children. In verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And so this is kind of traditional Hebrew poetry. It's a synonymous parallelism, right? The idea that line one and line two are, are synonymous. She's saying the same thing. In each of them. First, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And then she says it in a, in again in a different way My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she is rejoicing uh, at this news. She is rejoicing at what is happening to her. But why does her spirit rejoice? In verse 48, she gives us the reason For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So remember, Mary is a young woman. She comes from a poor family. She's a virgin, yet she is pregnant. She is vulnerable. She is insignificant in the eyes of the world. And she describes her place in this world as a humble, a humble estate. And yet, the creator of the world sees her. She believes his promises and trusts in his word See, Elizabeth says in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And she says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
See, God is looking down from his wondrous and exalted position on high, and he sees her in her lowly estate, and he lifts her up. She will forever be known as the mother of the Messiah, the one who gave birth to Jesus, the Savior of God's people. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And so in her lowly estate, this isn't, she knows this is of, you know, no reason of her own. This is no intrinsic reason or something that Mary has done to deserve such a role in redemptive history, but simply because God looked down and saw her and he poured out this special blessing to her and she will forever be blessed because of the child that is in her womb. And she knows who he is. She knows who this child is. And Elizabeth knows, right? Elizabeth knows who this child is. Look what she says. She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She calls the Mary's baby the Lord. Why is it that I get this special blessing, that the, the mother of my Lord comes to me? We don't know exactly know how Elizabeth knows. It doesn't tell us. But we know that she understands the role that her child plays, what her son is called to do. Remember, the angel told Zechariah that John will go before Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah, preparing the way for the Christ. So she knows what her child has come to do. She knows that there is a Messiah on the way. And perhaps when John leaps in her womb in the presence of Jesus, maybe she figured it out then. Right? Already announcing the coming of Jesus, even in the womb. John the Baptist points the way. Or she found out from Mary earlier. We, we don't quite know, but either way, they recognize, both Mary and Elizabeth recognize the significance of God's personal care for his children. They both are, are kind of in awe that God would do this through them. Mary says in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This echoes the idea of Psalm 8, when the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See, theologians speak of the creature and the creator distinction, right? There's a magnitude and transcendence of God, the creator, and yet he cares for us, his creatures, personally. He desires to love his children, and so what magnifying the greatness of God allows us to do is not run in terror and fear, but rest in awe and wonder that this mighty God loves and cares for us. We're able to look closer at the enormity of God who has set us apart, who has sent his son to die for our sins so that we might live with him for all eternity. The one who created this world has given us dominion over it and blessed us and cares for us. To Calvin in his commentary on 1 John, he says, For if it be asked why the world has been created, why we have been placed in it to possess the dominion of the earth, why we are preserved in life to enjoy innumerable blessings, why we are endued with light and understanding, no other reason can be adduced except the, the, the gratuitous love of God. There's no other reason that God would do all of this. It is because of his love and his care for his children. But if we're honest, there are times when we misjudge God's care for us. 
All right, I think we, we can say in a, in a general sense, I know God cares for his people, but deep down, I think we believe that he doesn't care for me personally. Yes, he loves his children, but not necessarily me. As if God only loves his people in a, in a general sense. Right? Think of that of a father who only generally loves his kids. Of course I love my kids, but just in a, in a general sense. <laughs> no, a true father cares for his children specifically, individually, personally. Right? Imperfectly, earthly fathers at least try to know how each one is different, what they need, what makes them angry, what makes them laugh, what they are interested in. And if we as earthly fathers desire this, how much more so our heavenly Father. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And so it is personal the way that God cares for you, simply because he takes a personal interest in caring for each one of his children. And he doesn't do so, he does it not with ineptitude and weakness, but the might, with, and with might and providential power of the Almighty. Right, so he doesn't just care for us and desire to, but he has the power to do so. He has the abilities and the might to actually care for us, which brings us to point two. Mary's going to turn from the personal care of God for her to God's broader dealings with, uh, with the world through his providential power. It's pretty common in the Psalms for the writer of worship songs to go from the individual uh, to the broader people of God or even the world. And so Mary shifts to a broader view of God's work in verse 50. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, God's dealings throughout history has been from generation to generation. From our first parents, Adam and Eve, until Christ returns, this will be God's pattern from generation to generation. And it is through God's providential power that he rules his kingdom, caring for his children, a.k.a. those who fear him. Again, this is not a a terrified, flinching, but in a restful trusting in the might and the power of God with a respect and honor for who he is and all of how magnificent he really is. So notice the, the verb tense here and the way she uses this in this whole section. She says, he has shown strength. He has scattered. He has filled the hungry. Mary speaks in a past tense of what God is doing and going to do through her son, Jesus. But she is speaking of the future as the past, as if to say she is so sure of it, it is as if it has already happened. Scholars call this the futuristic aorist, something like a prophetic perfect tense, speaking of the past as if it has already, or the future, as if it has already happened. One commentator said it this way, Mary is describing the future work of God's son with the certainty of a past event. Right, and so these songs, you know, throughout scripture are are ultimately prayers. So this is the way that Mary is, is praying. This is the way that Mary is worshiping. She's speaking to God as if his work, of his work as a past tense. So what, the application is, what, what if we prayed more confidently like this? He has been faithful in these things because that's true, right? We can be so sure of God's 
faithfulness that we can speak of it as if it has already been done because it has. This is how he works. Through God's providential power, he will do all these things through his son, Jesus. He has looked upon the humble estate of Mary and he will scatter the proud. She's echoing Psalm 89. You scattered your enemies with your mighty right arm. This common image of God's arm as his power and strength. He has shown strength with his arm. See, there's this great reversal in the fortunes in the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. Those that despise God and cling to earthly power, earthly wealth, and earthly wisdom will ultimately be thrown down while those who fear God and live in humble reliance on him will ultimately be lifted up. So Jesus spoke of this, the way the kingdom is in Matthew 23. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. She says in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is an echo of Psalm 107, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. See, the rich in this context aren't hungry for the things of God. They are satisfied. They have, they have filled themselves with their wealth and they feel no need for God's provision and rescue. And in their mind, they're, they're secure. But in the end, they are sent away empty. But those who fear the Lord are hungry for his ways. They're hungry to know him more. They desire the things that he desires. Again, this is what Jesus taught recently in our, our sermon series in Matthews. We went through the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's not a righteousness in the sense of perfection, but righteousness in the sense of hungering and thirsting after God and his ways. See, those who fear the Lord in this way will be satisfied because they are filled with things of substance, with things that, that matter, things that will not rot, things that are unshakable. So Hebrews 12, the writer says, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so God, in his providential power, through Jesus, he will provide for his children and he'll satisfy them with good things, eternal things to go with that eternal life that we have in him. It's helpful to, to back up and think of Mary's point in redemptive history, right? The, the whole Old Testament has been pointing this, to this child that is in her belly. And so one question she has been pondering is, why me? Why me, Lord? But the other question has to be, why would God do this at all? Right, why, why would he do this? One answer to that question is the love of God that we've already talked about. But another is his mercy. He has promised mercy 
to those who fear him. And Mary is learning firsthand that God is a God who keeps his promises. And so the third thing we see when Mary magnifies the Lord is we get a closer look at God's promise-keeping faithfulness. Verse 54, she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She sees, she sees this moment through her unborn child as the promises of God to his people coming true. He has remembered his plan for mercy. He has remembered his covenant. All right, look at the language in verse 55. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is covenantal language. All of this is wrapped in, in the covenant and promises of God. Back in Genesis, you'll remember God made a covenant, a promise to Abraham that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It says in Genesis 22, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you obeyed my voice. And if you jump forward to Galatians 3, Paul explains that the seed of Abraham is not a reference to many children, but one particular child, to Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is the Christ. And so by sending Jesus into the world, God is remembering his mercy, his promise of salvation, the blessing to all the nations through the Messiah. See, Mary knows these promises well. She is she is steeped in Old Testament scripture. Almost every phrase in, this, in her song is an Old Testament reference. I mean, one of the things I was just struck by as you go through it over and over and over again, Mary knows her Bible. When it comes time to magnify the Lord through song, what comes out are his own words. What comes out are his promises. And I, you know, there's, there's good reason to believe that she couldn't even read. Matt and I were talking about this morning that she's probably illiterate. She just knew these promises by sitting under the teaching of the word and hearing it and remembering it and pondering it and thinking about it. And so she's not quoting, you know, wholesale words, but, but it's just all echoes. It's just one after the other of God's promises. All right, the entire song is line after line of Old Testament references. Madar explained that it's styled after uh, Hannah's song, right? So just the overall structure and, and theme lines up with Hannah's song, but all throughout it is just scripture references. My spirit rejoices is Psalm 35. In God, my savior, Psalm 25. Looked on the humble estate of his servant is 1 Samuel 1 and Genesis 29. Will call me blessed is Genesis 30. Has done great things is Deuteronomy 10. Holy is his name, is Psalm 111. Shown strength with his arm, is Psalm 118. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, is Psalm 103. I could keep going and keep going. It's literally reference after reference after reference of the Old Testament promises of God. 
See, she is praying God's own words back to him. She is singing and worshiping using God's language and God's promises. And so that is a great application for our our prayer life, praying God's own words back to him. There's a great book that Matthew Henry wrote a while back called A Way to Pray. Uh, He literally just lists prayers using scripture. And he just teaches you how to do this, how to use God's own words to pray back to him. It's been reworked in modern English. You can find copies of it, but it's called A Way to Pray. And it's a helpful, helpful tool in in doing this, of just learning to pray uh, God's own words back to him. See, because Mary's knowledge of God's promises in his word is the lens through which she views the events of her life. Right? She is, she is looking at the world through the promises of God. And so Mary, no wonder she always seems so calm and collected. Right? Anytime you see her, she just seems so like relaxed. And this like her world is being turned upside down, but she just seems so calm. And I believe it's because of these promises that she has steeped herself in. Right? The phrase that Luke uses to describe her responses is pondering things pondering these things in her heart, right? When the shepherds came and they told her what they had heard from the angels, Luke says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Luke 2, he goes on to say, when Jesus was found in the temple later, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I think she is watching Jesus grow up. And she is watching these promises come true. And she's remembering the promises of God as she watches. She stores away these events. She's combined with the truths of God's word that she knows from memory, recalling them, meditating on them, and returning to them time and time again. And so when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, it's because of all of these things. Magnifying the Lord as she rests and his personal care for her, his providential power, and the faithfulness to his promise of mercy to his people. If you and I are going to magnify the Lord this Christmas, we have to do the same. So Jesus is much bigger than everything else that will come at you in the weeks to come. And our tendency is to use the microscope, right? to focus on the minute and the small, the insignificant, the things that don't matter. And we can learn from Mary and magnify the greatness of God and worship him. And then we'll have the right perspective as we move through this Christmas season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this song. For your Holy Spirit pointing us to the greatness of our God. Lord, we ask that you'd give us the ability this week to magnify you, to rejoice in the promises of the gospel and to remember the personal care you have shown each one of us. And it's in Your name we pray, amen.